Book Three, Chapters Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen of Joseph Andrews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Joseph Andrews, by Henry Fielding. Book Three, Chapter Eleven, containing the exhortations of Parson Adams to his friend in affliction calculated for the instruction and improvement of the reader. Joseph no sooner came perfectly to himself than, perceiving his mistress gone, he bewailed her loss with groans which would have pierced any heart but those which are possessed by some people, and are made of a certain composition not unlike flint in its hardness and other properties for you may strike fire from them, which will dart through the eyes, but they can never distill one drop of water the same way. His own poor youth was of a softer composition, and at those words, Oh, my dear Fanny, oh, my love, shall I never, never see thee more! His eyes overflowed with tears, which would have become any but a hero. In a word, his despair was more easy to be conceived than related. Mr. Adams, after many groans, sitting with his back to Joseph, began thus in a sorrowful tone, You cannot imagine, my good child, that I entirely blame these first agonies of your grief. For when misfortunes attack us by surprise, it must require infinitely more learning than you are master of to resist them. But it is the business of a man, and a Christian, to summon reason as quickly as he can to his aid, and she will presently teach him patience and submission. Be comforted, therefore, my child. I say, be comforted. It is true you have lost the prettiest, kindest, loveliest, sweetest young woman, one with whom you might have expected to have lived in happiness, virtue, and innocence, by whom you might have promised yourself many little darlings, who would have been the delight of your youth and the comfort of your age. You have not only lost her, but have reason to fear the utmost violence which lust and power can inflict upon her. Now, indeed, you may easily raise ideas of horror which might drive you to despair. Oh, I shall run mad, cries Joseph. Oh, that I could but command my hands to tear my eyes out and my flesh off if you would use them to such purposes i am glad you can't answered adams i have stated your misfortune as strongly as i possibly can but on the other side you are to consider you are a christian that no accident happens to us without divine permission and that it is the duty of a man and a christian to submit we did not make ourselves but the same power which made us rules over us, and we are absolutely at his disposal. He may do with us what he pleases, nor have we any right to complain. A second reason against our complaint is our ignorance, for, as we know, not future events, 
so neither can we tell to what purpose any accident tends and that which at first threatens us with evil may in the end produce our good i should indeed have said our ignorance is twofold but i have not at present time to divide properly for as we know not to what purpose any event is ultimately directed so neither can we affirm from what cause it originally sprung you are a man and consequently a sinner and this may be a punishment to you for your sins indeed in this sense it may be esteemed as a good yea as the greatest good which satisfies the anger of heaven and averts that wrath which cannot continue without our destruction thirdly our impotency of relieving ourselves demonstrates the folly and absurdity of our complaints for whom do we resist or against whom do we complain but a power from those whose shafts no armour can guard us no speed can fly a power which leaves us no hope but in submission oh sir cried joseph all this is very true and very fine and i could hear you all day if i was not so grieved at heart as now i am would you take physic says adams when you are well and refuse it when you are sick is not comfort to be administered to the afflicted and not to those who rejoice or those who are at ease oh you have not spoken one word of comfort to me yet returned joseph no cries adams what am i then doing what can i say to comfort you oh tell me cries adams that fanny will escape back to my arms that they shall again enclose that lovely creature with all her sweetness all her untainted innocence about her why perhaps you may cries adams but i can't promise you what's to come you must with perfect resignation wait the event if she be restored to you again it is your duty to be thankful and so it is if she be not joseph if you are wise and truly know your own interest you will peaceably and quietly submit to all the dispensations of providence being thoroughly assured that all the misfortunes how great soever which happen to the righteous happen to them for their own good nay it is not your interest only but your duty to abstain from immoderate grief which if you indulge you are not worthy the name of a christian he spoke these last words with an accent a little severer than usual upon which joseph begged him not to be angry saying he mistook him if he thought he denied it was his duty for he had known that long ago what signifies knowing your duty if you do not perform it answered adams your knowledge increases your guilt oh joseph i never thought you had this stubbornness in your mind joseph replied he fancied he misunderstood him which i assure you says he you do 
if you imagine I endeavor to grieve upon my soul, I don't. Adams rebuked him for swearing, and then proceeded to enlarge on the folly of grief, telling him all the wise men and philosophers, even among the heathens, had written against it, quoting several passages from Seneca, and the consolation, which, though it was not Cicero's, was, he said, as good almost as any of his works, and concluded, all by hinting that immoderate grief, in this case, might incense that power which alone could restore him his fanny. This reason, or indeed rather the idea which it raised of the restoration of his mistress, had more effect than all which the parson had said before, and for a moment abated his agonies. But when his fears sufficiently set before his eyes the danger that poor creature was in, his grief returned again with repeated violence, nor could Adams in the least assuage it, though it may be doubted in his behalf whether Socrates himself could have prevailed any better. They remained some time in silence, and groans and sighs issued from them both. At length, Joseph burst out with the following soliloquy. Yes, I may bear my sorrows like a man, but I must also feel them as a man. I cannot but remember such things were, and were most dear to me. Adams asked him what stuff that was, he repeated, to which he answered they were some lines he had gotten by heart out of a play. Ay, there is nothing but heathenism to be learned from plays, replied he. I never heard of any plays fit for a Christian to read, but Cato and the conscious lovers, and I must own, in the latter, there are some things almost solemn enough for a sermon. But we shall now leave them a little, and inquire after the subject of their conversation. CHAPTER Twelve. More adventures, which we hope will as much please as surprise the reader. Neither the facetious dialogue which passed between the poet and the player, nor the grave and truly solemn discourse of Mr. Adams, will, we conceive, make the reader sufficient amends for the anxiety which he must have felt on the account of poor Fanny, whom we left in so deplorable a condition. We shall therefore now proceed to the relation of what happened to that beautiful and innocent virgin after she fell into the wicked hands of the captain. The man of war, having conveyed his charming prize out of the inn a little before day, made the utmost expedition in his power toward the squire's house, where this delicate creature was to be offered up a sacrifice to the lust of a ravisher. He was not only deaf to all her bewailings and entreaties on the road, but accosted her ears with impurities which, having been never before accustomed to them, she happily, for herself, very little understood. At last he changed his note, 
and attempted to soothe and mollify her by setting forth the splendour and luxury which would be her fortune with a man who would have the inclination and power too to give her whatever her utmost wishes could desire and told her he doubted not but she would soon look kinder on him as the instrument of her happiness and despise that pitiful fellow whom her ignorance only could make her fond of she answered she knew not whom he meant she never was fond of any pitiful fellow are you affronted madam says he at my calling him so but what better can be said of one in a livery notwithstanding your fondness for him she returned that she did not understand him that the man had been her fellow-servant and she believed was as honest a creature as any alive but as for fondness for men i warrant ye cries the captain we shall find means to persuade you to be fond and i advise you to yield to gentle ones for you may be assured that it is not in your power by any struggles whatever to preserve your virginity two hours longer it will be your interest to consent for the squire will be much kinder to you if he enjoys you willingly than by force at which words she began to call aloud for assistance for it was now open day but finding none she lifted her eyes to heaven and supplicated the divine assistance to preserve her innocence the captain told her if she persisted in her vociferation he would find a means of stopping her mouth and now the poor wretch perceiving no hopes of succour abandoned herself to despair and sighing out the name of joseph joseph a river of tears ran down her lovely cheeks and wet the handkerchief which covered her bosom a horseman now appeared in the road upon which the captain threatened her violently if she complained however the moment they approached each other she begged him with the utmost earnestness to relieve a distressed creature who was in the hands of a ravisher the fellow stopped at those words but the captain assured him it was his wife and that he was carrying her home from her adulterer which so satisfied the fellow who was an old one and perhaps a married one too that he wished him a good journey and rode on he was no sooner passed than the captain abused her violently for breaking his commands and threatened to gag her when two more horsemen armed with pistols came into the road just before them she again solicited their assistance and the captain told the same story as before upon which one said to the other that's a charming wench jack i wish i had been in the fellow's place whoever he is but the other instead of answering him cried out zounds i know her and then turning to her said sure you are not fanny goodwill indeed indeed i am she cried oh john 
I know you now. Heaven hath sent you to my assistance, to deliver me from this wicked man, who is carrying me away for his vile purposes. Oh, for God's sake, rescue me from him. A fierce dialogue immediately ensued between the captain and these two men, who, being both armed with pistols, and the chariot which they attended, being now arrived, the captain saw both force and stratagem were vain, and endeavoured to make his escape, in which, however, he could not succeed. The gentleman who rode in the chariot ordered it to stop, and, with an air of authority, examined into the merits of the cause, of which, being advertised by Fanny, whose credit was confirmed by the fellow who knew her, he ordered the captain, who was all bloody from his encounter at the inn, to be conveyed as a prisoner behind the chariot, and very gallantly took Fanny into it, for, to say the truth, the gentleman, who was no other than the celebrated Mr. Peter Pounce, and who preceded the Lady Booby only a few miles, by setting out earlier in the morning, was a very gallant person, and loved a pretty girl better than anything besides his own money, or the money of other people. The chariot now proceeded towards the inn, which, as Fanny was informed, lay in their way, and where it arrived at that very time, while the poet and player were disputing below stairs, and Adams and Joseph were discoursing back to back above, just at that period to which we brought them both in the two preceding chapters, the chariot stopped at the door, and in an instant Fanny, leaping from it, ran up to her Joseph. Oh, reader, conceive if thou canst the joy which fired the breasts of these lovers on this meeting and if thy own heart doth not sympathetically assist thee in this conception, I pity thee sincerely from my own, for let the hard-hearted villain know this, that there is a pleasure in a tender sensation beyond any which he is capable of tasting. Peter, being informed by Fanny of the presence of Adams, stopped to see him, and receive his homage. For, as Peter was an hypocrite, a sort of people whom Mr. Adams never saw through, the one paid that respect to his seeming goodness, which the other believed to be paid to his riches. Hence Mr. Adams was so much his favourite, that he once lent him four pounds thirteen shillings and sixpence, to prevent his going to jail, on no greater security than a bond and judgment, which probably he would have made no use of, though the money had not been, as it was, paid exactly at the time. It is perhaps easy to describe the figure of Adams. He had risen in such a hurry that he had on neither breeches, garters, nor stockings, nor had he taken from his head a red-spotted handkerchief, which by night bound his wig, turned inside out around his head. He had on his torn cassock and his greatcoat, but as the remainder of his cassock hung down below his greatcoat, so did a small strip of white 
or rather whitish, linen appear below that, to which we may add the several colours which appeared on his face, where a long piss-burnt beard served to retain the liquor of the stone-pot, and that of a blacker hue which distilled from the mop. This figure, which Fanny had delivered from his captivity, was no sooner spied by Peter than it disordered the composed gravity of his muscles. However, he advised him immediately to make himself clean, nor would accept his homage in that pickle. The poet and player no sooner saw the captain in captivity than they began to consider of their own safety, of which flight presented itself as the only means. They, therefore, both of them, mounted the poet's horse, and made the most expeditious retreat in their power. The host, who well knew Mr. Pounce and Lady Booby's livery, was not a little surprised at this change of the scene, nor was his confusion much helped by his wife, who was now just risen, and having heard from him the account of what had passed, comforted him with a decent number of fools and blockheads, asked him why he did not consult her, and told him he would never leave following the nonsensical dictates of his own numbskull, till she and her family were ruined. Joseph, being informed of the captain's arrival, and seeing his fanny now in safety, quitted her a moment, and running downstairs, went directly to him, and stripping off his coat, challenged him to fight. But the captain refused, saying he did not understand boxing. He then grasped a cudgel in one hand, and catching the captain by the collar with the other, gave him a most severe drubbing, and ended with telling him he had now had some revenge for what his dear Fanny had suffered. When Mr. Pounce had a little regaled himself with some provision which he had in his chariot, and Mr. Adams had put on the best appearance his clothes would allow him, Pounce ordered the captain into his presence, for he said he was guilty of felony, and the next justice of peace should commit him. But the servants, whose appetite for revenge is soon satisfied, being sufficiently contented with the drubbing which Joseph had inflicted on him, and which was, indeed, of no very moderate kind, had suffered him to go off, which he did, threatening a severe revenge against Joseph, which I have never heard he thought proper to take. The mistress of the house made her voluntary presence before Mr. Pounce, and with a thousand curtsies told him, she hoped his honour would pardon her husband, who was a very nonsense man, for the sake of his poor family, that indeed, if he could be ruined alone, she should be very willing of it, for because as why, his worship very well knew he deserved it, but she had three poor small children, who were not capable to get their own living, and if her husband was sent to jail, they must all come to the parish, for she was a poor, weak woman, continually a-breeding, and had no time to work for them. 
she therefore hoped his honour would take it into his worship's consideration and forgive her husband this time for she was sure he never intended any harm to man woman or child and if it was not for that blockhead of his own the man in some things was well enough for she had had three children by him in less than three years and was almost ready to cry out the fourth time she would have proceeded in this manner much longer had not peter stopped her tongue by telling her he had nothing to say to her husband nor her neither so as adams and the rest had assured her of forgiveness she cried and curtsied out of the room mr pounce was desirous that fanny should continue her journey with him in the chariot but she absolutely refused saying she would ride behind joseph on a horse which one of lady booby's servants had equipped him with but alas when the horse appeared it was found to be no other than that identical beast which mr adams had left behind him at the inn and which these honest fellows who knew him had redeemed indeed whatever horse they had provided for joseph they would have prevailed with him to mount none no not even to ride before his beloved fanny till the parson was supplied much less would he deprive his friend of the beast which belonged to him and which he knew the moment he saw though adams did not however when he was reminded of the affair and told that they had brought the horse with them which he left behind he answered bless me and so i did adams was very desirous that joseph and fanny should mount this horse and declared he could very easily walk home if i walked alone says he i would wage a shilling that the pedestrian outstripped the equestrian travellers but as i intend to take the company of a pipe peradventure i may be an hour later one of the servants whispered joseph to take him at his word and suffer the old put to walk if he would this proposal was answered with an angry look and a peremptory refusal by joseph who catching fanny up in his arms averred he would rather carry her home in that manner then take away Mr. Adam's horse, and permit him to walk on foot. Perhaps, reader, thou hast seen a contest between two gentlemen, or two ladies, quickly decided, though they have both asserted, they would not eat such a nice morsel, and each insisted on the other's accepting it, but in reality both were very desirous to swallow it themselves. Do not therefore conclude hence that this dispute would have come to a speedy decision for here both parties were heartily in earnest and it is very probable they would have remained in the inyard to this day had not the good peter pounce put a stop to it for finding he had no longer hopes of satisfying his old appetite with fanny and being desirous of having some one to whom he might communicate his grandeur he told the parson he would convey him home in his chariot this favour was by adams with many bows and acknowledgments accepted though he afterwards said 
he ascended the chariot rather that he might not offend than from any desire of riding in it for that in his heart he preferred the pedestrian even to the vehicular expedition his matters being now settled the chariot in which rode adams and pounce moved forwards and joseph having borrowed a pillion from the host fanny had just seated herself thereon and had laid hold of the girdle which her lover wore for that purpose when the wise beast who concluded that one at a time was sufficient that two to one were odds etc discovered much uneasiness at his double load and began to consider his hinder as his forelegs moving the direct contrary way to that which is called forwards nor could joseph with all his horsemanship persuade him to advance but without having any regard to the lovely part of the lovely girl which was on his back he used such agitations that had not one of the men come immediately to her assistance she had in plain english tumbled backwards on the ground this inconvenience was presently remedied by an exchange of horses and then fanny being again placed on her pillion on a better-natured and somewhat a better-fed beast the parson's horse finding he had no longer odds to contend with agreed to march and the whole procession set forwards for booby hall where they arrived in a few hours without anything remarkable happening on the road unless it was a curious dialogue between the parson and the steward which to use the language of the late apologist a pattern to all biographers waits for the reader in the next chapter chapter thirteen a curious dialogue which passed between mr abraham adams and mr peter pounce better worth reading than all the works of Kali cyber and many others the chariot had not proceeded far before mr adams observed it was a very fine day ay and a very fine country too answered pounce i should think so more returned adams if i had not lately travelled over the downs which i take to exceed this and all other prospects in the universe a fig for prospects answered pounce one acre here is worth ten there and for my own part i have no delight in the prospect of any land but my own sir said adams you can indulge yourself with many fine prospects of that kind i thank god i have a little replied the other with which i am content and envy no man i have a little mr adams with which i do as much good as i can adams answered that riches without charity were nothing worth for that they were a blessing only to him who made them a blessing to others you and i said peter have different notions of charity i own as it is generally used i do not like the word nor do i like it becomes one of us gentlemen 
It is a mean, parson-like quality, though I would not infer many parsons have it neither. Sir, said Adams, my definition of charity is a generous disposition to relieve the distressed. There is something in that definition, answered Peter, which I like well enough. It is, as you say, a disposition, and does not so much consist in the act, as in the disposition to do it. But alas, Mr. Adams, who are meant by the distressed? Believe me, the distresses of mankind are mostly imaginary, and it would be rather folly than goodness to relieve them. Sure, sir, replied Adams, hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness, and other distresses which attend the poor, can never be said to be imaginary evils. How can any man complain of hunger, said Peter, in a country where such excellent salads are to be gathered in almost every field, or of thirst, where every river and stream produces such delicious potations, and, as for cold and nakedness, they are evils introduced by luxury and custom. A man naturally wants clothes no more than a horse, or any other animal, and there are whole nations who go without them. But these are things perhaps which you, who do not know the world, you will pardon me, sir, returned Adams, I have read of the gymnosophists. A plague on your Jehoshaphats, cried Peter. The greatest fault in our constitution is the provision made for the poor, except that, perhaps, made for some others. Sir, I have not an estate which doth not contribute almost as much again to the poor as to the land-tax, and I do assure you I expect to come myself to the parish in the end. To which Adams gave a dissenting smile. Peter thus proceeded. I fancy, Mr. Adams, you are one of those who imagine I am a lump of money, for there are many who, I fancy, believe that not only my pockets, but my whole clothes are lined with bank-bills. But I assure you, you are all mistaken. I am not the man the world esteems me. If I can hold my head above water, it is all I can. I have injured myself by purchasing. I have been too liberal of my money. Indeed, I fear my heir will find my affairs in a worse situation than they are reputed to be. Ah, he will have reason to wish I had loved money more and land less. Pray, my good neighbor, where should I have that quantity of riches the world is so liberal to bestow on me? Where could I possibly, without I had stole it, acquire such a treasure? Why, truly, says Adams, I have been always of your opinion. I have wondered as well as yourself with what confidence they could report such things of you, which have to me appeared as mere impossibilities. For you know, sir, 
and I have often heard you say it, that your wealth is of your own acquisition, and can it be credible that in your short time you should have amassed such a heap of treasure as these people will have you worth? Indeed, had you inherited an estate like Sir Thomas Booby, which had descended in your family for many generations, they might have had a colour for their assertions. Why, what do they say I am worth? cries Peter with a malicious sneer. Sir, answered Adams, I have heard some aver that you are not worth less than twenty thousand pounds, at which Peter frowned. Nay, sir, said Adams, you asked me only the opinion of others. For my part, I have always denied it, nor did I ever believe you could possibly be worth half that sum. However, Mr. Adams, said he, squeezing him by the hand, I would not sell them all I am worth for double that sum. And as to what you believe, or they believe, I care not a fig, no, not a fart. I am not poor, because you think me so, nor because you attempt to undervalue me in the country. I know the envy of mankind very well, but I thank heaven I am above them. It is true, my wealth is of my own acquisition, I have not an estate like Sir Thomas Booby, that has descended in my family through many generations, but I know heirs of such estates, who are forced to travel about the country like some people in torn cassocks, and who might be glad to accept of a pitiful curacy for what I know. Yes, sir, as shabby fellows as yourself, whom no man of my figure without that vice of good nature about him, would suffer to ride in a chariot with him. Sir, said Adams, I value not your chariot of a rush, and if I had known you had intended to affront me, I would have walked to the world's end on foot, ere I would have accepted a place in it. However, sir, I will soon rid you of that inconvenience, and so saying, he opened the chariot door, without calling to the coachman, and leapt out into the highway, forgetting to take his hat along with him, which, however, Mr. Pounce threw after him, with great violence. Joseph and Fanny stopped to bear him company the rest of the way, which was not above a mile. End of Book 3, Chapters 11, 12, and 13. And End of Book 3. Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California, for LibriVox.